0: We gather as a community before a loving and grace-filled God. We open our hearts, minds, and souls in worship. We are grateful that the Spirit dwells among us. We ask you, God, to speak to us, inspire us, and lead us in our time together. Amen. God of grace and love, We gather together to offer you our praise and thanksgiving for the unfailing love you have shown towards us, generation after generation, and for the compassion you shower on us day after day. We pray that your Spirit would move among us as we worship, open our hearts and our minds to see you at work among us, encouraging, challenging, uplifting, and inspiring as each one has need through the stories of Scripture, and through the testimonies of our own lives. Amen. And now please stand and join us in singing God of Grace and God of Glory, number 705, verses 1, 3, and 4. Jewish American poet, biblical translator, editor, and educator, David Rosenberg, shares his rendering of Esther in his book, A Poet's Bible. And when Mordecai heard Esther's plea, he did not hesitate to reply, returning her messenger immediately. Esther, do not think for a moment silently within yourself, that within the king's palace you are safer than any other Jew. But if you persist in silence, in waiting, at a time so crucial as this, the Jews will still be delivered, yes, saved in another way, by another hand. But you and your family will pass away like a moment of truth turned away from. For you are only yourself for a reason. And who can know if you were not brought splendidly into favor in the palace for a moment like this of action? Here ends the reading.
1: morning. Uh, when Pastor Hazel invited me to give a chapel talk this fall, I hesitated uh, because my relationship with the Lutheran church has been bittersweet. I grew up in a Lutheran family full of pastors. Uh, my great-grandfather was a pastor and seminary professor. Uh, my beloved grandfather, two uncles, two aunts. My father planned to be a pastor too. But he entered the seminary after getting a PhD in English from Stanford and took a teaching job to support his young family while in school and found that he felt called to higher education instead. Of the grandkids, I was considered most likely not to succeed, but to go to seminary. I enjoyed attending church. Uh, I enjoyed learning and thinking about the Bible, uh, its historical context, its meaningful stories, uh, thinking about different ways uh, of interpreting them and applying them to our own lives. I also loved the Lutheran musical tradition. Uh, Singing hymns in parts all the time, uh, Easter brass ensembles Uh, A little part of me dies inside every time when I go to churches and just the words of the hymns are on the wall. Everyone sings the melody. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I was born different and I came out in college and the Lutheran Church at the time would not ordain me as a pastor. Whether or not I shared the gifts to the role that seemed to run in my family. So I was angry. Hurt, too, but mostly angry at the church's hypocrisy, uh, raising me to believe in Martin Luther's egalitarian idea of a priesthood of all believers, but then saying to me through its policies, well, no, he didn't actually mean all all, All not all. I left the church, and I have never joined another congregation in my adult life. I now attend a Unitarian Universalist congregation with my wife and kids. And no one understands why I haven't become a member after five years. My name tag is still in the little basket behind everyone else's name tags. (laughs) Um, It's kind of hard to explain, I guess. Some old wounds just run really deep. When the ELCA finally voted 10 years ago to ordain gay people, several people who know me earnestly said, hey, how about now? But I had set off on a different path years ago. I still retain my interest in history and in the power of story and in questions of textual interpretation and in the Lutheran value of educating people in order to serve the world. My path eventually led me in my father's footsteps instead of my grandfather's. Led me to a PhD in English and eventually into the classrooms here at CLU. I count Pastor Hazel and Pastor Scott among my good friends, and sometimes you just say yes to friends. And sometimes you need to let friends help you heal a little bit. So here I am. Hazel told me the fall theme is limitless and gave me a list of characters from the Bible who experienced limitations. I chose Esther because I'd been enthralled years ago by a poetic translation that you just heard of these verses that was framed on the wall in a friend's office, a congregational pastor of a largely LGBTQ church congregation in Minneapolis. This passage is really compelling, isn't it? It sounds kind of like a spy movie or like a superhero movie. Being in the palace won't save you, you know, when they come for the Jews. And maybe there's a reason you're in a privileged position where you can make a difference. You have the chance to speak and act. Do not choose silence. The passage felt personal. Like Esther, I was a member of a marginalized community in my own society. In college, I knew stories of queer students who had been kicked off sports teams or who had mysteriously lost their financial aid when their being gay had become known, so they couldn't return to school. I went to school where my parents worked. And I was aware of my privilege as a legacy student and a so-called faculty brat. So no one could get away with kicking me out. My parents were beloved fixtures on campus. So I started a queer student organization. It was, <laughs> Of course I did. I was 1989. I realized it was probably 30 years ago to like this week or something, which freaks me out. Revisiting this, the story of Esther to prepare for this talk, I learned that many interpret it to mean that God has a plan for our lives, and it is our job to be obedient to the plan. A few conservative websites I came across even emphasized that God made use of Esther's beauty and the king of Persia's lust in order to like, get her into this position of power. Uh, in order to save the Jews from this bad guy who had a powerful role within the government. And it, he was powerful enough that he could threaten the lives of an entire class of people that he disliked. which Sounds kind of familiar. But this is a weird way of understanding it. What about all the other women in the harem? You know, uh, they had beauties and personalities, but they didn't result in a good outcome for them or for anyone else. Did God have a plan for them too? And their plan was that they not be as beautiful so that Esther's story would be like emphasized somehow? I'll be honest with you, most days I don't really believe that God has a plan. It's strange to say that out loud, I just heard that in my own ears. I don't believe that God had a plan for my brother-in-law to be diagnosed with leukemia at 35 and to be dead by 37. I don't think that happened for some good reason or that there was some divine plan in it for my sister who has somehow against the odds survived two decades of agony, of, of grief since then. She has a husband and children now, but. I hope no one ever burdens those beautiful kids with some nonsense that God plans to have this kind and beautiful guy die so that they could be here. That doesn't make sense to me at all. I don't believe that the deaths last year of our alum Justin Meek and a dozen other beloved members of our community, one of a kind individuals, was part of a plan to bring about some mysterious, uh, some kind of yet unidentified good. It is good that our CLU community and Thousand Oaks have come together with compassion and care in the wake of those events. That's a good. But surely God didn't plan that just so the rest of us could like, notice, hey, we're, we're doing OK here. That Doesn't add up. God didn't have a plan that 6 million Jews would die in Europe. God didn't, doesn't have a plan, I don't think, that there are children in cages at our borders. I don't see that as some plan for some other good that's going to, like, come about from that. We all know, don't we, that this list could get really long. The lessons I see in the story of Esther are these for me. One is that we are never fully in control of our own lives. Our lives are constantly shaped by the actions and choices and decisions of other people. Principled or reckless lawmakers, principled or greedy business owners, principled or mean bosses, our own wise or careless children, right? other people are acting and shaping where we're at all the time. Each of us is empowered and limited by an array of material and social constraints. The country that we were born in, the neighborhood we live in, the language we're raised to speak, the shape, the color, the health, the age of the bodies that we walk around in, the amount of money or access to healthy food and education that the people who raised us had access to, what harem we're sold into, you know, figuratively. The figurative harems of our lives. It's supposed to be funnier than it. <laughs> Everyone's like, crap, but, what is she even talking about? <laughs> the, the point is, each of us will find ourselves in unexpected places and circumstances right, in our lives that we ourselves didn't plan. The second lesson of Esther, I think, is this. Whatever those circumstances may be, each of us has choices to make within them every day. We can act in ways that we hope will protect our own selves, save our own skin. Or we can act in ways that might improve the lives of others. And the third lesson is, I think, that we should believe to our core that silence is not an option. The point of Esther's story is that she was a person without much agency in her own life and in her world. She was a woman in a culture where women had little authority or autonomy. She was born into a marginalized population, and yet she found herself in a position where she had the opportunity to risk speaking to those in power on behalf of the powerless and endangered and potentially be heard. The angels, maybe her conscience, Reminded her that when you have the ear of power and people just like you are in danger, silence isn't an option, no matter what the risk to yourself. The common good is always more important than our own personal good. The common good is our own personal good, even if we aren't seeing it in the moment. right? And often the common good is dependent on and profoundly shaped by the word Indeed, of one person. Greta Thunberg, a young hero of our own moment, is an Esther of our own time, right? As a child growing up in middle class in Sweden, she was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, and selective mutism. I read these things. Um, while acknowledging that her diagnosis has limited me before, she said, she does not view her autism as an illness and has instead called it her superpower. She has single-handedly aroused an entire generation around the world to speak out in an effort to save the life of the planet we're on, to save all of us from our current terrifying trajectory toward disaster that's being driven by the recklessness and greed of the powerful and the ignorance and the complacency of the rest of us. I don't know what limitations you experience in your own life, But I know we all have them. And I don't know what circumstances will rise for you in which you, limitations and all, not despite who you are, but because you are exactly you, will find that you have an opportunity to speak up for others who are even more vulnerable than you are. Maybe it's God who places us in such moments. Perhaps it is circumstance. But you will find yourself in just such a time and place as this. And when you do, don't think for a moment that you will remain magically safe while others' lives are being threatened. Think instead of Esther. And use whatever privilege you have and act.
0: Let us pray. Loving creator, your word is a lamp onto our feet and a light onto our path. Thank you that we can live in your light and walk in your truth. May the things that you have revealed and the thoughts that we have shared dwell in our hearts and stir us to action. Amen. Please stand and join me in our closing hymn, which is found in your insert.
1: Go from this place with joy, giving thanks to God, proclaiming God goodness, celebrating God's love, and worshiping God with your lives. Amen.